0: I'm going to ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians 2. That is going to be our text this morning. Um, And I'm just reminded of Aaron last week when he preached through Psalm 2, and this is an amazing portion of scripture. If we were actually going through the book, it would take us um, more than just one sermon to get through this. So we're just going to be, we're not doing a deep dive, but just bringing out. The basics of this text regarding the person and work of Jesus Christ. So you know that. Um, Again, just focusing our minds and thoughts on Christ at all times, but especially now it's important for us uh, individually as Christians, corporately as his body of Christ. Philippians 2, I'm going to begin in verse 1 and read through 11. This is the word of the Lord. Paul says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was born in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen, and praise God. What a what a scripture. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much for thy word. How powerful, Lord. How deep, how amazing, how unfathomable for us, Lord, especially apart from your spirit, to to just take in. Uh, your word, Lord God, into our hearts and minds and and just try to understand that which you bring forth to us. So Lord, please give us understanding by your spirit this morning. Help us, Lord, um, illuminate our hearts and minds. Keep us engaged with your word. I pray that you would be with me to bring it forth powerfully, to bring it forth, Lord, clearly, and also with great conviction that we might be um, strengthened in our faith and deepened in our love for you and for one another. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. All right. Um, I'm just going to start by saying that I am just so struck as a, as a pastor, as a Christian, as a person, I guess, <laughs> at the, uh, just the proliferation and the popularity of those Hallmark Christmas movies. It's not just Hallmark. They're everywhere. Every station, every place you go, you have all those, you know, those Hallmark Christmas kind of movies. You can't go anywhere without seeing them or turn any any device on without having something in front of you there. They're so heartwarming. They're so cozy in many ways. Uh, for them, for these movies, they they really, in their way, try to capture the spirit of Christmas. You know, this whole season, the, the magical time, the time for miracle season, that's what this is. And so you have movies with their themes of kind of seemingly impossible things taking place. I'm a little bit concerned as a pastor that that is what is really taking over in the minds of so many people, that this is what Christmas is really about, you know, this kind of Good feeling, reaching resolutions to different problems. You know, there's definitely ideas um, in these movies of reconciliation, of redemption, of forgiveness, of humility. All those things are kind of included in these movies. You know, these broken relationships that somehow are mended magically during this time of year. You know, you might have an adult son who's been estranged from his father. This might be his father's last Christmas and he goes and somehow through the magic of Christmas, that relationship is restored. You know, that, those kinds of things or, uh, the, the, a chance. at a a new romance with the one that got away, you know, that childhood friend. You go back to your hometown and, you know, you used to fight when you were little, but then they fall in love and get married and there's a redemption and love there. Yeah, you're smiling because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? The family business, that's about to close after a hundred years in business because of the cold young executive, but then the cold young executive heart is melted and he finds a, you know, has a change of heart, keeps everything going, and we're just so happy with that, right? This is what Christmas is becoming to so many people, and, and this is what Christmas is about. You know, the super successful person finds out that success is not all it's supposed to be, and then goes back home and finds contentment in their small, beautiful, beautiful small town, and then gives back to the community. That's the redemption. That's the hope. That's, you know, the, the forgiveness that's there. For these guys, the real meaning of Christmas It's not all about the trappings they come to find out of worldly success, of material possessions, of the gifts, but it's really about relationship, personal change, and making things right. That's what Christmas is becoming in our nation, to be sure. There's no doubt. And I'm a little concerned as a pastor about that. I'm, it's kind of a backdoor way of, you know, again, getting Christ out of Christmas and what, what the true meaning is. I don't want to sound like a fuddy-duddy. I just want to bring forth the truth of God in, in relationship to Christmas and where our minds ought to be. Because for the world... This is what the true meaning of Christmas has become. And it's a sad, sad substitute for the actual truth. As, as heartwarming as it may be. And I'm not telling you not to watch them. You're not going to go to hell if you watch these things. You know, you could obviously, if you like, but understand as heartwarming as they may be, they're a sad substitute for the truth about Christmas. So that's what we need to constantly remind ourselves and, and be, and remember, right? It's not just the unexpected, improbable, all but impossible change that takes place because of the miracle of Christmas, the attitudes and actions that change. Actually, as I was reading this, I'm not really going to preach on the first four verses of our our text today, but in a way... Verses 1 through 4 is kind of what these every single movie then wants to achieve, right? If you have any encouragement, just take out in Christ participation, any affection, complete my joy, being the same mind, have love. Being full of court of one mind, you know, being reconciled. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but humility. Count others as more important than yourselves. Don't look out to your own interests, but also... That's a very nice way, and if you really think about a lot of the themes of these movies that are on, that's kind of what it gets down to. They want the first four verses of this particular text but they don't want verses 5 through 11. That's a different story. That's not, you know, but you really can't have 1 through 4 without 5 through 11. Not truly, not honestly, but that's actually a, a, another sermon, right? Because that only comes through the transformation of Christ. But, uh, for our purposes today, it begins with a miracle, the true miracle, and that's the um, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And that's what Christmas is really all about, and that's what I'm here to remind you. Just, just, Again, just skimming the surface, just going over this. This isn't a deep dive into the theology of it, but it's actually what we need to know and understand and keep our minds fixed on. And this is what Christmas is truly, really about. It's not the Hallmark movie. It's not the happy ending in that way. It's not just making up with family members of God. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about God coming to save sinners to be reconciled with him and then going on to being reconciled with others, you know, living the first four verses of this chapter. C.S. Lewis called the Incarnation the grand miracle, and it's really true. He went on to say about that. The central miracle asserted by the Christians is the Incarnation. Every other miracle prepares for this or exhibits this or results from this, and that's from his book, Miracles. It's very true. What Lewis says there, it's about the creator. Think about this just for a minute, just for a second. And it blows your mind. It's the creator enters into his creation. He humbles himself. It's the eternal one, eternity entering into time. Right? This kind of blows our minds right away. The holy enters into the profane. He comes to us and he comes for us. There can be no greater gift. True forgiveness, actual reconciliation, full redemption, eternal and everlasting life in Christ. It's beyond amazing. When you think about the incarnation, it's mind boggling. It's astounding. It's astonishing. It's its incomprehensible to our minds. We do take a lot of it on faith because it's what the word says. But when you try to think about what actually took place at the incarnation, it's way beyond us. And even as he explains who Christ is, what he did, what he accomplished, and that's what we're going to look at today, just, it's unfathomable to us. It's unbelievable that God would love us, you, that much to do this in order to save us. Take that away from this message today. See? Because it's God whom we sinned. This is what Christmas is about. It's God whom we sinned against. It's God that we need to be reconciled to. And it's only God who can do this, who can reconcile us to himself. Because why? Because in our sin, we're helpless. We're unwilling. We're unable to resolve that problem. We're unable to overcome that sin and remove the enmity between us and God. This is what the incarnation is about. It begins here with the incarnation. So let's look at our text. Uh, Verse six. To begin with. Paul tells us who Jesus is, who he really is. And he makes sure that we know this, that Jesus Christ is fully God. That's, in a nutshell, that's what this is about. He comes to save us. He leaves the glory of heavens for us. He says this, he says, who, um, in verse 5, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And he says, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, so first of all, what he begins with is who he is, being in the form of God, in other words, he's saying he is fully God that's what that means that form, word, form, means that form speaks to the nature of God, the essence of God, the character of God, the attributes of God, the absolute unchangeability of true of god and what's true about him so when he says he existed in the form of god first of all he existed that's eternality he's never was created in any way he existed in the form of god tells us the essence of god the character of god what's true about him who he is who he was who he always will be jesus christ is god emmanuel means god with us john 1 8 in 18 says this very simply in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god no one has ever seen god the only god who is the father's who's the father's side i'm sorry who is at the father's side he has made him known colossians one fifteen: christ is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation That means a preeminent one over all creation. Hebrews 1 3. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds all the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. See, this is what Christmas is all about. This is the true nature of it. If Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He is fully God. Morphe is that word for form, and that's a quality. The attributes, the characteristics, the things that belong to God alone belong to Jesus Christ. Paul's making the point that this is God who came for you. This is God, fully God. Yes. Amen. Full God. He didn't regard equality a thing to be grasped, he goes on to say. What's that mean? That is a couple ideas here. This is important to get a couple of ideas for the word grasp or to to reach out to. The first one means to take hold of. You know, when you grasp something, you reach for something, you, you know, you, you want to, you want to, you want to get it. You want to have it. Um, you want something so, you know, when you want something so desperately, you know, you just, you just wish you, you had that. It's about aspiration. It's about pursuing. So people say, hey, why don't you go and reach for the stars? Grab that, you know, grab destiny by the hand or whatever so you can be successful. And that's what we're told to do. Take hold of, of that. That's that word, grasp for that. See, Jesus didn't need to do that. That's what Paul saying. He didn't have to grasp for that deity. He already was God. So it's not something he was trying to attain, something he was trying to become. He was God. He didn't need to grasp for it. Who wanted to grasp for that? satan right all along that's that's kind of satan's desire to to be like god we see that in the lie that he told to eve what did he tell eve to do he said take it grasp that eat it and you'll be like god so grasp that take that he he christ did not have to do that he not something for him to grasp that's the first usage of it the second usage is to hang on to to cling to you know when you grasp onto something when you take hold of and you're holding on very tightly. You know, tenaciously, desperately, you don't want to let go of that. That's also the other side of this word. Now, on that point, that's something. Look what it says: Who was in the form of God didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But then he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant. So, having equality with God was not something that Jesus clung to, and that's love in that. See, he didn't cling to that as such. Listen, he possessed the fullness of God. Understand that in Him the fullness of deity dwelled. He's fully God, but what this means, and I want you to see the love in this. What, what this means, He He willingly took on humanity, so to I so as to identify with us. You understand? This is what God does. That's His condescending, deep love for you and for you for sinners like us. That's amazing when He says that He didn't count it. He 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 He, uh, he didn't count to be grasped, but He emptied Himself for us in that way so hebrews chapter 2 16 and 17 says this for surely it's not angels that he helps but he helps the offspring of abraham therefore he had to he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of god to make propitiation for the sins of his people do you see how much he loves us that he had to do that That he left the glories of heaven to take on humanity, to identify with us, to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death we needed to die because of our sins and to be raised on the third day. Do you see? That's what Christmas is about. That's what this is all about. That's why we gather around. That's why we sing what we sang earlier this morning. That's why we do the things that we do. So when we go off to our parties, we go off to our Christmas parties, and we do everything else, or we watch our Christmas movies, always keep this in mind. This is the purpose. This is the meaning. This is the real, whatever they say, the reason for this season. It's about Jesus Christ and about him alone and his love for sinners like you and me, right? And it's so cool because he didn't become less than fully God. He didn't do that. He added to himself a human nature. I know it boggles the mind. I know that's why, like, if we were going through this, we would probably spend an entire sermon on what I just said. But we're just skimming the surface. We're not digging deep. Um, Hervin Bovink, a really awesome theologian, older, dead now, in the 1800s, um, said this in terms of Christ's incarnation. Even when he became what he was not, when he became man, even when he became what he was not, he remained what he was, God. Don't you love that? Even when he became what he was not, he remained what he was. So we see that he is fully God coming down for us. In verse seven, he goes on and says, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of man. So now we move from the deity of Christ to the humanity of Christ. Fully God, now fully man. So we move to his his humanity and then what's called his humiliation for us. And all along this, I want you to see the true love that comes through in this for his people, for the father, to the glory of God and for our good. So he's fully man. 100% 100% man, just like he's God, he did not, he couldn't empty himself. When he says he emptied himself, he didn't empty himself as deity. That's who he is. That's his essence. He couldn't do that. That's his being. So it's not like, you know, he wasn't God anymore. He's still fully God. He wasn't half God. He wasn't half man. He was not 100% God masquerading as man, going walking around as, as man. No, he was 100% God 100% man, fully God, fully man. The Christmas miracle is that he's conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, born of her yet without sin. Two distinct natures, fully God, fully man, and one person, Jesus Christ. That's the deity of Christ. That's at the heart of Christianity and that's at the heart of the incarnation that God becomes man for us. Not just for, just for, so, he, just because he could do it. There's a purpose behind that. And again, he emptied himself. What does that mean then, if he emptied himself? If he didn't empty himself of his deity, what did he empty himself of? He emptied himself, and this is what's called the humiliation of Christ. Not to, It's just a life that he, just from, descending from such a high place to come down. That's For him, that's humiliation. To, to come down and identify with us, that's lowliness. That's great humility in that way. We don't deserve it, and yet he does it for us. So, so he he emptied himself, being born under the law, undergoing all the miseries of this life, right He wasn't immune to the things that we go through. He doesn't say, "Oh, nobody can identify with how I feel." no, he knows exactly. He wasn't just some distant savior that comes on to the scene from on high and does this and does you know his magic work. No, he lived it every single day, more than we can know. He identified with us, he was under all the miseries of this life, all the hardships of this life, all the difficulties of this life. He would undergo the wrath of God, the cursed death on the cross, and he would be buried. That's his humiliation. But when it says he emptied himself or he laid aside, what are some of the things he laid aside? Well, for one thing, his glory. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, when they saw the glory of Christ, what did they do? They had to bow down and turn away because it was just too magnificent for them. So his glory was veiled to an extent. Not that it wasn't there, but it was veiled to an extent. He willingly laid aside some of his attributes for a time in certain ways. Okay? His glory was ve- veiled in that way. He laid aside his honor and his majesty at the sight of Christ. Everybody should have bowed down. When they saw Jesus Christ, they should have been on their knees and worshiping him. They should have been like the like the woman who broke the vial and poured poured on him the anointing oil and kissing his feet and worshiping him that's what everybody should've been doing when they saw him at every single time but no his honor and his majesty was veil. Isaiah 53 right he was a man of of uh, ill repute to them or, or little reputation, despised and hated among men. He went around and, and, and was mocked and, and, and put off. And that that's part of his humiliation, not receiving the love and the honor and the worship that he deserved, but the scorn and the hatred and the rejection of men for our sake. That's what Christ did. That's what he veiled, his honors, his richness, just his riches, riches of who he is, of what he brings. That was veiled. Second um, Corinthians 8, 9 says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, he was God, fully honoring, deserving of all glory, majesty and honor. Yet for your sake, because he loved you, became poor. In other words, he came to us, put on the flesh that we might that he may identify with us so that you may, by his poverty, may become rich. Amen. If we trust in him, richness awaits us. So he emptied himself in that way. Don't ever think he didn't divest himself of his of his uh, being of God in that way. No, always God. But his glory was there. It's a condescending love. And that's what I want you to see and think of and be concentrating on. That's the the real meaning of Christmas. That's where the reconciliation comes from. That's where the, the redemption lies. That's where the real humility is, that he came down for us. And and in that way, that, that condescending love to to be with us and to be for us in that way. It's like a king. Again, he remained who he was. It's like a king who, did you ever see those movies where a king has all honor and glory, but he'll lay aside his robe, he'll lay aside his crown, he'll put his scepter away, and he'll just go side by side with the peasants and kind of work with them and be with them doesn't change the fact that he's still a king. He is still the king. And that's how it is with Christ. It doesn't make him any less God that he became a man. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That's why Christ came. Understand? Nice and easy. This is what it is. Always keep our thoughts trained on this. Verse 8. He goes on to say this. Um Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What's that speaking to? That's the point of the incarnation. This is why Jesus Christ came. This is what he did. This is the atonement, that he humbled himself even to the point of death. That's what it is. That's the selfless. You talk about the Christmas spirit. You talk about doing this and you're kind of forgetting about yourself. This is what Christ did. That's that selfless, substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf. Dying in our place, the perfect one, the sinless sacrifice, bearing the sin of all who would believe in him. That's what it is. That's the point of the incarnation. That's why he came, to pay the price for sin. He was born to die for sinners and then to be raised on the third day. And listen to this. It was willing. He didn't go by force. It wasn't just, oh, shucks, I have to do this, I guess. Okay, I'll do this, Father, for my people. no. He went willingly because he loves you so much. Just like you would willingly put your life on the line for your kids. Or you would willingly take, you know, go aside. Oh, I have to think about it. I don't know. Luke, Laney, well, maybe I'll let Laney go. No, you wouldn't even think about it. I'm going to go and take that place for you. Now, Leela, on the other end, I don't know. I love you. Right? With our kids. You know that. That's a willingness. It's not all, you know, maybe I guess if I have to do this. No, that's that deep love for us. That's the point of the incarnation, that he humbled himself, willingly left the glories of heaven to come down to us, to live that obedient life for us, that we might be forgiven of our sins. Oh, my goodness. The selfless substitute, dying in our place, bearing the sin of all who believe in him, willingly going to the cross. The righteous, just think about it. This is the perfectly righteous for the perfectly sinful, right? Going to the cross. The just for the unjust, The pure for the profane, the good for the bad, right? The the perfect for the broken, the one who can do something for the ones who are completely helpless, unwilling, and unable to do anything for themselves. That's the story of the incarnation. That's the, the hope that we have, not just at Christmas, but in this life in Jesus Christ. You see that? He humbled himself even to the point of death. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's the great exchange. That's the great gift that we have. That's the best gift anybody could ever receive is the gift of life. You give Christ all your sin. He gives you his righteousness by grace. What greater gift is that? And the reward is heaven for that. By his wounds, you are healed. That's what Christmas is about. That's the meaning of Christmas. Don't get lost in those movies. Don't get caught up. They're really cute and they'll really take you away, but they have nothing to do there's a slight, you know, kind of theme themes that kind of run through them, but they have really nothing to do with the absolute true meaning of Christmas. And that's all about Jesus Christ, and that's the good news, and that's the incarnation. So so don't don't be fooled or or don't and when people go down that road. Well, here's the nature of Christmas. Because they think, well, if we don't put the emphasis on presents, if we don't put the emphasis on gifts, that Christmas is so much more than that. It's about this, that, and the other thing, they're still falling short of the glory of God. Amen? Right? It's okay. It's nice to be reconciled to a long-lost, you know, friend that you had when you were a little kid, or with a parent, or, or to save a business and to see humility. Those are those are okay things, but they fall short of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. They make good stories, but they don't get you to heaven. Only Christ does. He knew no sin. He became sin for us. By his wounds you were here. That's the greatest gift that we could receive. And then in verse nine, he goes on to say this. Oh, this is so packed. Oh, my, my. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, so at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's his exaltation. This is the gospel. This is it. Because Christmas is not just about the incarnation. It is that, but that you can't just have the incarnation without the the humiliation of Jesus Christ without the atonement of jesus christ without the the death of christ without the resurrection of christ without the exaltation of christ it all goes together we all try to separate it you know christmas when he was born okay and it's kind of there and easter's when he's raised raised from the dead pentecost you know now, listen man this is this is it all goes together you don't try to separate it in that way it's not self-contained it you need it's one step after the other so that's what he Paul does here in an amazing way. We have the whole gospel. We have the whole person and work of Jesus Christ here. We have his his deity, his humanity, his humiliation, his death on the cross, his substitutionary penal atonement on the cross, his death for our sins, satisfying God's righteousness. We have his burial, you know, that he died, and now it's inferred. Because of the exaltation. Because he says he's highly exalted him. Do you know what that means? That he was raised from the dead. He's exalted. He's not in the grave. He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father right now. See, that's the miracle of the incarnation. The atoning death, the glorious resurrection of Christ. He he was born. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He fully, fully satisfactory and well-pleasing to the Father. I'm well-pleased with him. He satisfies the Father's wrath and justice on the cross. He's resurrected from the dead. And that resurrection, when he says he's highly exalted, that confirms, that proves, that settles everything. That's the truth, and that is the reality. That's that seal that the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings. And that's what he says here. I will highly exalt him. That's what's going on. From that time to the present day, and it'll be so until he returns. And oh yeah, even the return of Christ and the judgment of Christ is in this passage, right? Because when he says, so at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's not a universalist passage. And some people will say that that's what it is. Everybody's going to name Jesus as Savior and Lord someday. No, 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 no. As a sinner, you're going to acknowledge him. And your sin against him in, in righteousness. As, as those that are saved, absolutely that is true. But he says that every, every, every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This is what he will do. See, here's what God has done. He sent his son. The son fulfilled all righteousness, living a perfect life, dying a painful, shameful death, atoning death on the cross to pay the price for our sins, was died and was buried and raised on the third day. That's what he's done. He's ascended into heaven where he's ruling and reigning right now. But one day, and here it is, one day. See, this is all part of the Christmas story. One day. You're going to stand before him. And people are going to know. And what this means when he says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means even for those who did not believe, they are going to stand before him and they are going to know. You're going to know that you've rejected him. And you know, you're going to know that you deserve what you're about to receive. And you're going to know why you deserve it. Understand that's why the gospel the, the message of the Gospel is so important for us, and the message of Christmas is so important for us because of this because every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess, it's either going to be in judgment because you're going to know at that moment when you stand before him, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to know that you've sinned against him, you're going to know what you deserve and you're going to know why you deserve it Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess for those in faith, for those who believe in Jesus Christ. It's going to be that humble acknowledgement, that humble exaltation of your Savior and of your King to whom you belong. Amen and praise God. So be on that side where you are rejoicing and just in awe and amazement of your Savior who loved you and gave you life. So one way or another, you're going to stand before him. Is it going to be in that humble exaltation or just that that bitterness of knowing that you've sinned against him and earned that punishment? That's it. That's it. It's so simple. This is what it is. Don't be distracted. Don't get taken off. Don't be taken away by these things. Again, enjoy your families. Have fun. Enjoy the party. I'm not saying that. But remember this. Please remember this as we move forward because this is truly what Christmas is all about. And I'm telling you, man, I don't know if it's a conspiracy or not, but the worldly way of trying to usurp this is through what they do to us. Because I'm preaching this sermon and there's some hard things in this and you're saying, oh yeah, it doesn't you might just go home and watch those fun movies and just find real comfort in them and real peace in them and real cozy in them and make your coffee and wear your jammies and sit around and watch it. You know what I mean? Don't let that trick you. Don't let that fool you because that's the world's way of taking you away from Jesus Christ. I'm not saying, again, watch, but you know, you're not sinning if you watch them, but understand and put them in context because this is what it's all about, not that. Those things are mere shadows or hopes or wishes. Again, the first part, first four verses, that kind of thing is that just kind of makes it makes it right, makes it better. You can't have the first four verses of these passages without five through eleven. Amen. That's where the true um, joy, that's where the true that's. Listen, when you're in Jesus Christ, that's why he says, if you're in Christ, any comfort, any participation, any affection, any sympathy, make my joy complete by having the same mind. Those movies, they want to have the same mind. They want to come to a place of understanding. Being full accord in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That's what those movies are all about. Selfish ambition, conceit. Well, then they're changing. They're humbled and giving. And stuff. You can't really do that apart from Jesus Christ in our lives. Yeah, to a degree and in a way, but it always comes back to you. It's only in Jesus Christ when there can be true grace to love and care for others in that way as we ought to. First of all, for one another. That's the only way because we're too selfish. We still want some of the credit, you know, and, and and then it's only temporary sometimes, even those changes that are made. You don't get to see the rest of the movie, what happens after they fall in love. And now they're making those sequels, though, like with those uh, dystopian movies. They they take some of the Disney movies when they end with a happy ending, but then they kind of move on, and it's not so happy after that, right? Well. Um, You know, without Christ, that's the way it always is going to be. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but with humility count others as more important than yourselves. You know, they always want to make those the themes of the movie. Oh, there's more important things, more important people. You're not going to believe that or know that unless you receive what Christ has given to us. Then I'm going to see and understand what I have been given in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to love you with that same kind of love. And that means I'm going to love you more than I love myself. Understand? That's the only way we can really truly do that. I am going to be willing to give of myself for you. I'm going to be willing to give up for you what I need to because of Christ. That makes sense to you? Don't look out for your own interest, but also the interests of others. So it's not just selfish interest, but it's really truly thinking of others and counting others more important than yourselves. And that's it. That's a crux. In the end of those movies, they kind of sort of count others more important than themselves, but it always comes back and that person is kind of glorified, the person that's been reformed, the person that's been humbled or whatever. But here, man, it's always you're more important to me than I am to myself because Christ is the one that gives us life. I know who I am in him. That's the idea. That's the connection. See, these these guys, they want all the, the fluff and, and the good stuff without the deep stuff and the true stuff to know that you're a sinner who needs Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And that is why he came. God the Son comes to earth to save us, to deliver us from wrath, because we're unable to do so ourselves. The Incarnation holds the promise of actual redemption, of actual reconciliation with the one who made us, the one whom we've rebelled against. And he brings that. See, that's the message of Christmas. <laughs> that's the promise of the incarnation, that we can have life because we're bad and he's good, because we're sinners and he's, he is the holy one, right? Because we can't do it ourselves. But we still, we still kind of don't like to hear that message. We want it all to be, hey, you're still pretty good. Ah, no, no, I'm not. And that's the message that one has come who is able to deliver us, who gives us that gift of life. That is what Christmas is truly. Simple, easy enough to understand, to move forward with. So as the Lord gives you opportunity, even tonight at your parties, even wherever you're going to be tomorrow, try to get back to this. Have fun, enjoy the presence, enjoy the time, but get back to this because this is what it's all about.